read from Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21. The man is Moses. We read in Exodus 2 and verse 21, Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. And she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their cry, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jephro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of, the bu- of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. Then he said, do not draw near the place, this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the ground where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Amen. We're looking tonight at the great site, in the midst of all the scriptures, this is one of those great sites. Of course, the greatest sight of all was to see Christ in the New Testament, to see face-to-face God, and to know that he was among them, and to have John's revelation at the end of the scriptures of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he will be. Not in all the fullness of that, but the expectation. And this is not the first great sight in scripture of God, of course. Adam was privileged to walk with God, as Enoch would later do. And we do not know the ins and outs of all of that. But nevertheless, we have before us a great sight. In the course of nearly 80 years, Moses had gone from having all the privileges of Pharaoh's palace in Egypt to the plainer life of a shepherd in Midian. Living with his wife Zipporah and their two boys, He might well have described his life now as settled. With 80 years of life, I expect most of you would think that your lives are settled as you would come to that point, and some of us have reached that point. Yet the Bible testifies that Moses was enduring as seeing him who is invisible. He had his eyes on a greater prize. Living with a man who appears to have been a priest of God in Midian, Moses continued to believe in God, looked to him for his own reward, and he was also looking to God for the needs of his people back in Egypt. But as time passed, 
Moses may well have thought that his own part in all of this was over, that he would have no further role in this. He was settled. He had his family. Until the day that God revealed himself to Moses. Frequently, I am aware, and some people will ask and want to know, what can I do? As Christians, they want to know, what can I do with my life? What have I got to do now? I've reached this stage. I have to say, the greatest thing that we can do is actually not what we can do. The greatest thing that can happen to us is to be allowed to see God, to know God, to feel His presence. And therefore, it is with great interest that any Christian should look into the Word of God and seek to know what it is to see God and to behold Him. For the great sight of God's revelation is here in these few verses that we look at tonight. First of all, it is an awe-inspiring sight which left Moses upon his knees and covering his face. And secondly, it remains an overwhelming sight to those who receive it even today. The awe-inspiring sight. The place where you stand is holy ground. They were frightening words, awesome words. He was just standing, standing on the dirt of the desert, but it was holy ground. There was a sight, though, that began all of this awe-inspiring sight. It was the sight that caught Moses' attention. We read in verse 2 of chapter 3, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. You will note if you're reading an English translation, or I trust it's in any other translation throughout the world, that the capital letter there, the word angel which means that it is not thought that this is one of the many myriad of angels, but it is actually speaking of a pre-incarnate visitation from Christ himself that have revealed to Moses from the midst of the bush. But Before we jump too far ahead, we better go back to the man. Moses, the very busy man. In his 80th year, he's still tending his father-in-law's sheep. Uh, He's still looking after all of their needs. He's uh, watching out for the lame and the halt. He's looking if anyone is missing and anyone in need. Sheep need a lot of attention and care and, and looking after, especially in the midst of a wilderness and a desert where there might be wild animals and other dangers. So he's a busy man in the midst of these years approaching his 80th year thereabouts. He decides to lead these sheep to the back of the desert. Doesn't seem like a good description to find any grass there, uh, but this is a deserted area, that's what it is. And he's looking for nourishment for the sheep, so he leads them to the back side of the desert. Unbeknown to Moses as he approaches this place for the first time, this would become known as the mountain of God, the area he was now entering into. Horeb, as it's called here, Sinai, as it will later be called, and is even known to this day. When, in the midst of his job, Moses caught sight of a bush on fire. Now, that wouldn't be an unusual thing. 
He would see many things catch fire in the midst of a dry desert. He would have seen many things burn and quickly be extinguished, probably in the midst of his life. He would have put his eye upon it, checked it wasn't going to catch and catch onto anything else dry, as many of us have experienced the dryness of these days. You don't want a fire to spread. And he would have turned his eyes back to his work and labor properly. But as he looked, he noted that the fire wasn't going out. But not only was the fire not going out, he saw that the bush appeared to be completely unharmed by the flame within it. And Moses looked, and he pondered what he was seeing. Did his eyes deceive him? Should he take a trip to Specsavers? Well, there wasn't one then. Eighty years of age, maybe he thought his sight was failing him, and he rubbed his eyes. We don't know that, but he would have looked twice, surely. He'd never seen a sight such as this. He took his eyes off his sheep. That was certainly the case. He he had no longer to look upon them. He was interested in this sight. What is going on here? What is happening? So he said to himself, I will turn aside and see this great sight. This isn't just a little thing. There are mountains around here. They're very impressive. There are sights and wonders in all of God's creation, but this is a, a great sight. And I will turn aside in order to discover why it is this bush is not burning. Maybe he thought he was on the cusp of a great discovery. Something unique had been found. Well, that was the sight that caught Moses' attention. But then there is the sight in Moses' description. So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him. The miraculous source of what Moses saw soon became apparent. Moses didn't even get close to the bush, it appears. As God saw him turn aside to look, God called to him. And Moses discovered this is no accidental event. This is planned, purposeful, as God called to Moses by name. And he does what God does in many places in the Scripture. There is a repeat of the name to make sure that the individual stops. The person doesn't approach any nearer or ceases from the action they're taking. Abraham, when he was offering Isaac, for instance, the angel of the Lord called to him twice, Abraham, Abraham, to stop him. And so Moses was stopped as he was approaching the bush. He was warned not to come any nearer. For the ground you stand on is holy ground. A frightening concept. It would be frightening enough to discover the ground was quicksand or some danger lay within it, but it is holy ground. And Moses is not a holy man. He is the very opposite of that. He is a sinner in need of the grace of God. And here is the holy God of heaven coming near. And this ground is holy ground. And he doesn't know where to step or where to stump because all the ground looks the same. It's just desert. Moses is told to stay where he is. Take the shoes off your feet and remain where you are. An interesting instruction, isn't it? Take the shoes off your feet. We would think that God would want us to keep as distant from him as possible. Uh, But God says to Moses, take the shoes off your feet. And then God formally introduces himself. He tells Moses first to Moses, I am the God of your father. He 
don't read a lot about Moses' father. We don't know very little about the man at all. We know he was a man of faith, for by faith, Moses' parents hid him uh, in the months before they had to put him into the ark and into the Nile. So he was a man of faith. And God introduces him, himself as the God of Moses' father. And then the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Something familiar about that for Moses, isn't there? This is the one who is known. This is the one who has revealed himself. And it's still very frightening. Then there is the sight from Moses' position. For it says in verse 6, Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. What began in Moses' eyes as a great sight of a bush not consumed by fire became a sight of which he was afraid. The bush was still had this flame of fire within it. But Moses was not interested now about the bush and why it was not consumed. He was more consumed, uh, concerned about how he could remain unconsumed. Because he recognized that God was at the heart of that bush. And so Moses hid his face. For a man cannot look upon God and live as Moses himself will later be instructed in life. And God does not correct Moses' fear. He doesn't say to Moses, it's okay. It's all right. Do not be afraid. As angels later told the shepherds on the announcement of Christ's birth. But instead, as Moses bowed his head, God intended to continue his revelation of himself. Dear friend, it's an awesome sight. And it's an awe-inspiring sight. It's something the Jews took from this passage onwards and, and made it something that they longed to see. They said it was one of the highest privilege to behold God in any manner such as this and to know him interacting with them. And Moses went on to experience this many times in the midst of his life. But it began here, a place where he turned aside to see something very unusual, discovered that God was in the midst of it. It was something that humbled him and broke him, and he became concerned that he would not be consumed by it. So that's the awe-inspiring sight. Now, what of the overwhelming sight, which is before us as we are here in the 21st century, so long after these events? Well, the sight here in this passage is one that can still catch our attention. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flame of the fire from the midst of the bush. And like Moses, you see, we all live busy lives, don't we? We were all very active. We all have lots of responsibilities, the cares of people. We can uh, associate ourselves with Moses. We may not be shepherds, but we have jobs and uh, things to be done. And we, well, you look at the things you've got ahead of you this week. Please don't start thinking about that now. But nevertheless, there's lots of things ahead of you and all these plans and responsibilities you have. You feel like Moses. There may be something, though, that is going on in your life that you don't yet recognize. You may be in a place that's about to become very significant in your life. A place where God is about to reveal himself in a very special and particular way. It can happen at all points of life. And this is, it can only remain an ordinary place as long as God doesn't intervene. 
There can be times when the eyes are drawn to something unexpected. How many of us would testify who came to know the Lord later in life, I never went looking for God. I wasn't searching for him. I wasn't looking for him in my life. But my eyes were drawn. They were drawn to his word. They were drawn to his people. They were drawn. It becomes a matter of distraction, just like Moses looked at that bush first of all. It was just a distraction. It was just a bush on fire, but then it kept burning. And when it kept burning, it became an insatiable curiosity to him. I have to turn aside and find out what this is about. And When God begins to reveal himself, that's often what happens to us. It becomes distracting. It becomes consuming We want an answer. Why is it I can't get my mind off this subject of God? In Moses' case, it was the bush that was not consumed when God chose, and thus today it can be the same. Oh, I don't expect you to see a burning bush on the way home and think to yourself, I'm just going to stop and see in case God's inside it. But there are plenty of individual Christians and churches that surprise the unbeliever that they are not consumed. How many in China have seen their neighbor imprisoned and taken off for interrogation, only to discover a few days later they're brought home and they find out what's gone on? Well, that person's a Christian. Well, did they not turn their away from the Lord? Have they not changed their beliefs? And we know so many who have faced these things, and what is the case? They're not consumed. We've known of pastors in former days. The, recent, the death of uh, Gorbachev in Russia has reminded some of us of the days of the Iron Curtain when pastors were frequently taken into the police station and beaten and threatened and doing. And what did they do when they came out again? They kept on going. And what happened? The Lord drew attention to these lives. Even more powerful, there are those who dwell in lands where you can't meet many Christians at all. And God chooses by his own divine will to reveal his son Jesus Christ to them, often in a dream. And that seems fanciful to us in the West, but that's what happens often in countries like Iran. And an individual will gain a vision of Christ, and it will cause them to be curious And then it will become an insatiable curiosity. They believe that he exists. Therefore, who is he? What will I do? I can see this bush. It's burning. I will turn aside and see this great sight. It's a sight that can still get attention. It's the sight that matches Moses' description. When the Lord saw Moses turning aside, he called to him and spoke to him. It didn't take long for Moses to realize that the bush was not being, cons- not being consumed was a great sight. And when God is revealing himself, it doesn't take long for a person to realize that what or who they are seeing defies any logical explanation that they have formerly held. There's no other way of dealing with this. God is doing something miraculous in what I am seeing, and he is doing something miraculous in my life by revealing it. 
This isn't an accident. God is divinely working in my life. And generally the feeling is, I don't like it. That this divine being who has created the world, who I have rejected and don't want anything to do with, is suddenly interfering in my life. And it's uncomfortable. The ground becomes holy ground. It's the same sink you stood at for months, but it suddenly becomes a place where you can't stop thinking about God, the Christian you've seen, the Christ that has come. You go to work and it suddenly becomes holy ground. You can't get your mind off the fact that there is an eternity to face and there is a God who exists. And what is to be done about this? And God is calling to your heart by name. The ordinary can become holy. Not because of the environment has changed, but because the person becomes conscious and aware that God is addressing their heart. No place to hide. Nowhere to go. In the waking hour of the night, God is there. In the workplace, in, the, in going on holiday, a friend of mine flew all the way around the world to try and escape God, and God met him the other side, not by in the vision of a, a thing, but a Christian was there to meet him off the plane. You can't escape God. At such times, a person will feel uncomfortable, But at the same time, there will be something familiar about what is happening. It's an uncomfortable feeling when God reveals himself, but there is that familiar. Maybe like with Moses, it will be this. This is the God of your father. This is the one who who revealed himself to your father who's been praying for you, who's been thinking about you all the days of his life ever since he held you first in his arms who has been praying over your life and watching over you, and you've long since rejected what your father has said and what your father has thought, but now God, the God of your father, is revealing himself. The God who has revealed himself to former generations, as he did to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Something familiar about what God does. Yes, it's unsettling, it's frightening, but it's familiar too. It's not without precedent. It's something that we might expect. The sight also places us in an uncomfortable position. Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look on God. What begins with curiosity can bring us to a place of fearful blessedness. Those two words don't seem to belong together, but that's what Moses experienced. Fearful because the God who we had not feared is not only real, but he's addressing us. Blessed because this is the highest privilege that any person can receive on earth, a personal interaction with God. And it's a very uncomfortable thing in that, isn't it? God is speaking to me, revealing himself to me, and those around me don't even realize it or know it. The conversation between God and my heart is is carrying on as I work and labor, and my colleagues don't have any idea what is going on in my mind, yet it is fearful. Because this one knows everything I have ever done, and everything I have ever thought, and everything I have ever willed. Is that what you feel when you hear God speaks? Do you feel that you are on holy ground. 
what made that ground holy that day? It wasn't the bush burning. It wasn't the change of the sand. It was the word of God. What is it that makes this patch of dirt tonight holy? It's not the seats. It's not the bricks. It's not the people. It's when God speaks through his word and addresses our hearts and lives. And it is a frightening thing. Someone has said, rightly, every time we leave church, there is a sense in which we, you'd say, phew, that was close. But God knew all about my life. Not only let me walk in, but let me walk out again. Of course, he does that by the grace that we find. There's a question here that is not yet answered. So I better do that in conclusion. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why? Why the bush does not burn? There's lots of people who are curious about why the bush doesn't burn. That is the individuals they see. They're curious as to how it is that the church of God can still exist in the 21st century. Surely science has disproved this. Surely persecution has overwhelmed this. Why is it that the church still exists? It is not consumed. It is not destroyed. Why is it they still preach the same messages, the same words, and the same gospel? Why is the church not consumed? Are you curious as to why? Um, you curious as to why when Jesus hung on the cross? That God didn't destroy those who made it their purpose to put him there. How is it that the Son of God can hang upon a cross and everyone around that cross, excepting the disciples who stood by, shouted and willed that he would be there? And yet God doesn't consume them. There are those who hate the church and hate Christ. The church is not consumed. But God doesn't consume those who threaten the church either, nor his Son. Is your concern the answer that is found in this passage? The reason the church is not consumed? The reason the world is not consumed at the cross? Is that God is in the midst of both of these? And therefore, God should consume us because we have despised the church and those in it, or we have ridiculed Jesus Christ, his son, with every word and deed of our lives so far until we come to know him. He should destroy us, but he doesn't. I will turn aside and see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? Lamentations 3.22 gives the answer. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. How can Moses be knelt down on the ground as a sinner with just simply taking the shoes off his feet, which doesn't make him holy at all. It just represents his understanding of the place he's 
actually nailing on? How is it that God does not consume him? Because God is a God of mercy. It's not just a God of saying, oh, that's okay. This is real mercy. This is the mercy that knew what you would do and commit before you entered the world and let you exist anyway. This is the mercy that knows what you would do after you became a Christian and loved you anyway. This is the mercy that lets you live in eternal heaven, though you do not deserve it in and of yourself in any part. His mercy is not only new every morning, it is everlasting. And therefore, you are not consumed. The truth is we may not have known it, but tonight we have been on holy ground. God has been in our midst to speak to us of himself and reveal himself And he lets us stay on this holy ground because of his own mercy and grace. See, tonight, as in every church where the word of God is opened, God doesn't reveal himself through feeble bushes. But he reveals himself through the one who spoke through the bush, Jesus Christ. The sovereign God who made himself a frail man so that he might be consumed with his own wrath in order to free us from sin and death, by which we deserve to be consumed forever. The wonder of being a Christian is that I now li- the life I now live is like that bush that Moses looked on and said it's a great sight. Because God doesn't just live before me and say, I am holy. But God lives within us, dwells in us, and we are not consumed. He knows exactly what you've been thinking through this day. He's not consumed you. He knows entirely the manner and matters of your sin, and he has not consumed you because he is God. And that is a great mystery, isn't it? God doesn't see, just want us to turn aside and see great sights. He actually wants to make us into great sights for others to see. So that people look at our lives and go, you know, I don't understand how you're a Christian. It's not that we deliberately go out of our way to sin, but let's face the fact we are ordinary people. And yet there is an extraordinary person dwelling in our lives. A person who holds other people accountable. The reason that some of our colleagues stop swearing when we walk into the room or change their behavior or conversations. A person who dwells in us. See, God still has great sights. We go to work tomorrow, and maybe there'll be someone there and you won't know it that God will cause them to look at you. And they will see a great sight, a bush that burns but is not consumed. And it may be the first time in their lives where they realize that this is holy ground. God is dealing with my life. It's not for us to boast in. It's something for us to take the shoes off our feet and humble ourselves before and admit that this is an awesome thing, that God should dwell with us. But also remember this, that bush did not contain God. 
for the heavens cannot contain his glory. And there is no extent that contains his glory. It is only a mere glimpse of the greatness and magnificence of our God. It's enough to bring us to our knees and to our faces. But it's only a glimpse. And we should be even more afraid and in awe of the wonder of what we have done when we see face to face and behold his glory. For we shall do so not covering our eyes on that occasion, but God shall put his hand upon us and lift us up and let us behold his wonder. What a wonder it is to behold this great sight. Let's pray. O oh Lord God, we come so swiftly, so quickly into any time of worship. We may rush. And yet, Lord, how awesome a thing it is at any time in our lives when you speak to us. Lord, these are but words upon a page. But this is the living word of God. The Spirit of God has inspired it and the Spirit of God brings it to us tonight. And Lord, it is a wonder to us when we recognize what you said to Moses, what Moses saw, that we are not consumed. As Christians, when we consider our lives, that they are the temple of the living God, it's a wonder the temple still stands. And yet, Lord, it is testament to your glory. It's testament to the fact that you are a God of everlasting mercy. And therefore, we are not consumed. We know, O oh Lord, we shall never be perfect any more than Moses was perfect in the rest of his life. But Lord, thank you that you are determined to go on to reveal to us more of your salvation and more of your greatness. And We pray, Lord, that we will not forget when we first heard the Lord speak to us by name, and reveal himself to us, and cause us to trust in him as our Savior. And we pray, Lord, that people around us will see the glory of God through these simple clay jars, and that, Lord, they may see the God that will not consume them too, if only they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it is a magnificent sight. Keep it before our eyes to your glory, and to your praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.